Hello, and welcome to Horrific Tales. In this show, we'd like to celebrate the creations of independent authors and aspiring writers. Please like, subscribe, and share these episodes to help get our friends as much exposure as possible. We would also appreciate it if you could follow our artists on their independent platforms and support them by purchasing their works. Details on how to do so will be in the show notes. Today's Horrific Tale is brought to us by Liz Butcher. Come with us now as we present to you Chapter 1 of Never Never. Winnie blinked three times before opening her eyes as wide as she could. Despite her efforts to see, only blackness greeted her. The darkness was thick and inky, and she stretched her arms out as far as she could reach, only to encounter nothing. Wendy felt more curious than afraid, but as she questioned that, she was pulled from her thoughts. The laughter of children encircled her. She turned one way, then the other, hoping to catch a glimpse of them, but there was nothing. The joy in their laughter brought a smile to her face, and she took a moment to simply enjoy it. As she did, the darkness faded away, revealing an oasis of green trees and blooming flowers in every imaginable color. It almost overwhelmed her senses, so that she forgot the children, as she adjusted to the amazing smells and increasing light. Wendy jumped as a loud whoop <laughs> came from beside her. She turned to see a boy of about 13. Noticing her startled expression, he gestured up to the large tree branch he'd jumped from and winked playfully at her before running through the trees ahead. With each tree he passed, another boy joined him, then another, and yet another. She tried to count them, but they were so busy ducking and weaving as they pretended to gallivant and sword fight that it was impossible. She could determine, however, that they ranged in age. The eldest appeared to be the teen boy that had startled her, whereas the youngest didn't look older than four or five. Their joy was infectious and swept over her in waves of warmth, like rays from the sun. Feeling content, Wendy sat down amongst the flowers to watch the boys laugh and play. Is there really any better sound in the world than children laughing? As she watched them, a thought niggled at her, trying to push its way to the forefront of her mind. Although she tried to ignore it, preferring to stay in her joyful bubble, the thought persisted until she finally acknowledged it. Where am I, and how did I get here? As though the enchantment was broken, the boys stopped what they were doing, their laughter ceasing abruptly as they all turned to face her. Her own smile was replaced by a heavy frown. She wanted to tell the boys that everything was fine, to keep playing. Placing her palms on the grass, she started to push herself up to her feet, but then froze. Right before her eyes, the color from the boys seemed to drain away. Not just the rosiness in their cheeks, but the very tone of their skin the color of their hair, and the brightness of their clothes. Gasping, she watched dark, black shadows spread around their eyes that now sunk into their tiny faces. Winnie forced herself to look away, telling herself she was having a bad dream. She turned her attention instead to the flowers surrounding her. They too faded to gray and lay wilted and brittle around her. Gone were the beautiful floral scents she'd inhaled only moments before, replaced by repugnant smells of rotting fruit and something akin to rotten. The stench was an onslaught to her senses, and she gagged, her eyes watering. Each breath took increasing effort. She clutched at her chest as though she could somehow ease the constriction. A hissing, deflating sound forced her to look up at the boys, and her eyes widened as a high-pitched whimper escaped her. The boys were mere shadows of their former selves, 
Their eyes were dark, black pits, and their mouths hung slack in silent howls. Heart-wrenching sobs filled her ears, and she scanned the boys, trying to see which of them emitted the terrible sobbing before realizing she was the source. Movement beyond them caught her attention. She gripped at the brittle grass, oblivious to the way it disintegrated in her hands as she stared at a pair of bulbous, disembodied eyes. They were hovering a head or so above the tallest boy. The eyes were green, an unearthly hue, both vibrant and iridescent, and terrifying. She knew those eyes. She knew who they belonged to. Wendy. My Wendy. You can't hide from me. I'm coming for you. Scrambling backward, she tried to get to her feet so she could run away, but thick, thorny vines shot out from the dead flowers, binding her in place. Wendy tumbled to the ground, banging her knee painfully on the cold wooden floor. Swearing to herself, she tried to free her legs from the tangle of sheets. She could still see the unnatural glow of his eyes in their disembodied hover, watching her in the darkness. Squeezing her eyes tightly, she clutched the sheets to her chest. It's not real. He's not here. It's not real. She repeated the mantra until her breathing slowed, and she felt less like a terrified child and more like the capable adult she was. Opening her eyes, Wendy cautiously scanned the room. She knew it was just a nightmare. She'd had it more times than she cared to count. Yet, she struggled to shake off the horrible questions that always followed. What if? What if he's still out there looking for me? A fiery ball of panic welled within her chest before spreading its prickling warmth throughout her body. She felt heat rise up her neck and into her cheeks and instinctively gasped as though the anxiety was trying to drag her under some imagined watery depths. She fought against it, trying to focus on annoyance rather than fear. It'd been so long since he'd visited her in her sleep that a part of her might have actually believed the nightmares were over for good. With the initial wave of paralyzing fear subsiding, her rational mind surged ahead, and Wendy felt her helpless inner child slipping away. Reaching up, she fumbled for the bedside lamp, instantly relieved as the room flooded with light. Yet, the nightmare left a heavy veil of anxiety behind, making it impossible for her to discard the feeling that something or someone was coming. Untangling herself from the sheets, Wendy got to her feet. She tossed the sheets on the bed before sitting on its edge. As tired as she was, she was hesitant to lie back down. The single bed was now a little uncomfortable for her adult form. Instead, she scanned her childhood bedroom. It was a little surprised the nightmare had returned. Here. Now. It was as though she dared it to, simply by sleeping in this room. Nothing could have prepared her for seeing his eyes again. The thought alone was enough to make her heart start pounding like a drum. She focused on where the light was brightest, radiating out across the base of the tarnished lamp and illuminating the white bedside table. Like most of the objects in her room, both had seen better days. Looking around the room, Wendy scanned the posters of Jonathan Brandis and NKOTB adorning the walls, feeling disconnected from the young girl who'd once put them there. There had been a time when this room had been her haven, a sanctuary just for her. He took that away from her. She hated that she still felt this way in what had once been her favorite room in the whole house. The bedroom represented her, the old Wendy, the 15-year-old with rose-colored glasses and a happy, uncomplicated life. It felt like someone else's life. Wendy sighed, 
her sorrow overtaking her anxiety. The reason for her return hurtled to the forefront of her mind. Today was their mother's funeral. For the past three weeks, Wendy had stayed in the guest room closest to her mother's. Her brother, Michael, had already made it up for her without needing to check her sleeping preference. Yet, on the eve of the funeral, Wendy decided it was high time she moved past fears and sleep in her childhood bedroom. She'd ignored the fact that everything was exactly the same as it was the last time she'd seen it, or that there wasn't a speck of dust or the musty smell you would expect in a room untouched for years. Instead, she told herself spending the night there would be a form of closure. It was easy during the day to convince oneself nothing would happen, yet in the dark of the night, and on the back of the nightmare, that logic felt like a pipe dream. It wasn't that Wendy never visited, though she didn't as often as she should have. Her own place was only an hour away, in the hustle and bustle of the city. Wendy had often used the distance as an excuse not to visit more, but now that both of her parents were gone, it seemed like a ridiculous excuse. She knew her parents understood the real reason she kept away. Taking a deep breath, Wendy rubbed her hands along the tops of her legs, not wanting to dredge up the memories of her 15-year-old self, when everything had changed. The three weeks she'd spent with her ailing mother was the longest she'd stayed under her parents' roof since. The logging absences were easily justified by the knowledge her brothers were there, though they'd only been children themselves at the time. Now, they ran the family business, Darling Winery. Even after their father passed away, Wendy convinced herself Michael and John were more than capable of looking after their mother. She was ashamed to admit that even after receiving her mother's diagnosis, she still chose not to increase her visits. Yet, when she received the call from Michael telling her she was almost out of time, Wendy forced herself to move home for the duration of their mother's last days. Wendy was on leave for a mere 24 hours when a teenage girl was reported missing. A rather nasty argument ensued between her and Michael when she told him she wanted to work the case. It was a moral conundrum that tore her in half. Of course she wanted to spend her mother's last days with her, but she also felt a responsibility to the missing girl. It was a high-profile case, the teenage daughter of the newly elected Lord Mayor Malcolm Fryer. The news appeared to have a bias towards a disgruntled teen wanting to torment her parents, rather than something insidious. Watching it, she felt her instincts grind, and she knew she wanted to work the case. In the end, the choice wasn't hers. The inspector ordered her to take her leave as planned and shut her down when she questioned who he'd put on the case. The decision angered her, but there was nothing she could do aside from tracking the case via the news and deciphering what facts she could. Lily, her longtime girlfriend, had offered to come with her, but Wendy declined. As much as she loved Lily, she needed this time alone with her family. Her daughter, Jane, came and went, happily juggling her work commitments as a busy, city-based journalist and spending time at the family estate. Together with her two younger brothers, they fulfilled their mother's wishes to spend her final days in the family home. She wanted to pass there, in the same room where her husband had passed in his sleep ten years earlier and not in some cold, sterile hospital room. They'd provided the best medical support money could buy, and set their mother up comfortably in her own bed, surrounded by monitors and equipment, and with nursing staff and family waiting on her hand and foot. She'd wanted for nothing, except more time. Rubbing her eyes with the heels of her hand to stop the tears that threatened to spill, Wendy conceded there was no hope of returning to sleep. Yet, 
She was beyond fatigued and reluctantly lay back against the pillows and stared up at the ceiling, hoping to at least give her body the chance to rest. Instead, it felt like the nightmare had triggered something within her, causing old wounds to crack open and ooze the virulent memories into the forefront of her mind. The lack of sleep rendered her all but helpless to stop them. Instead, she tried to focus on happier elements. Recalling her early childhood, there was nothing but fond memories. They'd led a charmed life in their vineyard bubble, exactly how they all liked it. Wendy was close to her brothers and her parents and was the well-known favorite of Nana, her father's beloved childhood nanny, who had become an ingrained member of the family and lived at the estate since her father was a boy. The perfection of her world was not meant to last. Wendy sat up as another wave of anxiety swept over her. She reluctantly thought of those painful memories, pushing her mind to skip forward to the aftermath. She thought about how her relationships with her family changed. Despite their best efforts and intentions, things were never the same, especially between Wendy and her parents. They'd all smothered her with love and the illusion of protection that only thinly veiled the guilt she saw in their eyes when they looked at her. Her brothers knew something bad happened, but were just relieved their big sister was home again. It was Nana she grew closer to and confided in. She knew it hurt her parents, especially her mother, yet Wendy never seemed to move beyond the feeling that they'd let her down. They were her parents. Their job was to protect her, to keep her safe. They had failed. During her last conversation with her mother, Wendy saw the intense desperation in her mother's eyes as she pleaded with Wendy to listen to her. She'd gripped her hand with remarkable strength, given her frail condition. Wendy couldn't explain why, but something about the look in her mother's eyes, the expression on her face, stunned and scared her. Nothing her mother said made any sense. At the time, Wendy told herself it was a consequence of all the pain medication her mother was on, yet she felt the urgency behind her words. More importantly, her detective skills refused to allow her to ignore her gut feeling that there was a truth behind the final words her mother had desperately tried to impart, and she knew in her heart that her mother knew she was about to die. Wendy gripped the side of the bed with both hands as she chastised herself for not being able to decipher the message her mother had left behind. In a huff, she got up from the bed and walked to the window, pushing it open. Met with a rush of cool night air, laced with the smell of her mother's beloved roses that lined the front of the house below, she inhaled deeply. It felt rejuvenating, and her anxiety began to subside. She made a mental note to gather some of the roses for the funeral and rubbed her arms more for comfort than against the cool. Looking out over the vineyard that spanned across the land as far as she could see, she pictured the ghosts of their childhood, of three children running and hiding in the vines, one of their favorite pastimes. Wendy tried to fix the image in her mind of her mother working among the roses, tenderly pruning and caring for them, always smiling, humming a tune to herself more often than not. She focused on the memory with everything she had until the last of the awful, exhausting emotions slipped away. She didn't feel safe, not completely. She never did. But she felt reassured, as though her mother had wrapped her arms around her. Wendy yawned, calm enough for fatigue to set in. Leaving the window open, she returned to the bed and buried herself in a cocoon of blankets, the lamp still on. Just as she was about to fall into the comforting nothingness of sleep, her mother's smile was replaced by the ominous green eyes of her nightmares, and she hurled the blankets off and pressed her back up against the headboard. As she again scanned the room, her eyes wide, hot tears spilled down her cheeks, 
Her fear melded with anger and frustration. She felt violated that the horror of her nightmares encroached on such a precious memory. After a few moments, she launched herself away from the safety of the wall and off the bed and strode over to the closed bedroom door. With shaking hands, she grabbed the dressing gown from its hook and wrapped it tightly around her. Stepping over to the antique dresser, she leaned down to inspect her reflection. There were dark circles under her hazel eyes, and her deep chestnut hair, still pulled back in a braid, was wildly disheveled, giving her a somewhat crazy appearance. She tugged at her face, trying to smooth out any imaginary lines, feeling much older than her 35 years. Her self-inspection was interrupted as she stifled a yawn and resigned to the fact that there would be no more sleep for her tonight. Leaving the room, she felt both agitated and relieved when she pulled the door closed behind her. Skillfully maneuvering down a staircase, she knew the path of each creaky spot like the back of her hand. Wendy made it to the ground floor without a sound and walked into the kitchen. She gave a startled yelp. Her brothers were sitting at the kitchen island. Couldn't sleep? John asked, pushing his glasses back up his nose. Winnie gave him a wry smile in answer and walked over to one of the kitchen cabinets to retrieve her favorite teacup. Wendy? Sleep? That would imply she stopped moving for more than ten minutes, joked her youngest brother, Michael, running his fingers through his already tousled blonde hair. Oh, shut up. I sleep. I just don't need a lot. What about you two? Clearly the Sandman hasn't been kind to you either. She stood opposite them at the bench, reached for the pot of tea sitting between them, and poured herself a generous cup. John sighed as he wrapped his hands around the cup. I got pissed off with the tossing and turning. Sleep here, Michael added, stifling a yawn. I couldn't sleep knowing we're burying Mum today. I still can't get my head around the idea. I know, Wendy agreed, running her finger around the rim of the cup, not having words to say anything further. They sat silently for a few moments, each lost in their own thoughts. Does this make us orphans now? Michael asked. John sighed, rubbing his temples. I guess it does. They're both gone now. But can you be considered an orphan when you're an adult? Michael shrugged, then was overcome with another yawn, and Wendy stared quietly into the cup of tea in front of her, as though somehow it held the answers to all of her questions. What time is it? She finally asked. John tapped the screen of his phone, which lay on the bench, revealing the time atop a background image of their parents. It's quarter to five. Michael queried, itching to catch the early morning news? His smile said he was joking, with a sharp glint in his eye revealed his annoyance. No, I wanted to know the time. Since one was wanting to watch the news at crime anyway, she asked, keeping her voice playful, not wanting a fight with her brother today of all days. It wasn't like them to fight, but he'd been sour since they'd argued over her wanting to take on the missing girl case. Since their mother passed, he seemed to be trying to start an argument and she wondered how much longer he would stew on his grievances before finally snapping. She didn't have to wait long. Our mother's not even in the ground yet, and you can't wait to get back to work, he accused. That's not true, nor is it fair, Wendy replied, wishing her brother had opted to stew on it a little longer. You're kidding me, aren't you? Are the two of you really going to argue about this today? John intervened. Wendy and Michael said nothing, both lowered sheepish gazes to their mugs. That's what I thought, John continued. And Wendy, if you want to watch the news, then watch the bloody news. Offering an olive branch, Michael cleared his throat and looked up at his sister. 
What time is Lily arriving? Fairly early, as far as I know. She wanted to meet us here rather than at the cemetery. I'm surprised she didn't spend time here with you, John stated. Winnie flicked her brother a quick look. She would have jumped at the chance, but I asked her not to. Why on earth not? Michael asked, and Wendy saw John's tactful look, which their brother chose to ignore. Wendy shrugged. I wanted this time together, just us. And Jane, of course. I mean, not saying Lily isn't my family. Of course she is. John leaned forward and grasped his sister's hand with his own. You don't have to explain. We understand. Thanks. I appreciate it, she replied, and picked up her cup, taking a sip of tea. But, out of curiosity, is Lily allowed to keep a toothbrush at your place yet? I mean, you guys have been together for, what, three or four years now? John joked in an attempt to lighten the mood. Ugh, seriously, Wendy groaned, looking up at the ceiling to hide the blush on her cheeks. Her brothers chuckled. You realize most couples actually cohabitate after this long? Michael jumped on the bandwagon. I am so glad my commitment issues are a source of amusement for you both. Wendy rolled her eyes, but smiled at them both. She knew they didn't mean anything by their jibes. We're just messing around, John said with a smile, though Lily must have the patience of an angel. Wendy shrugged. She gets me. Honestly, I think she enjoys her own independence as much as I do, so it works for us. That's the main thing, John replied. Wendy, still feeling coy, turned her back to her brothers and took her time refilling the kettle for another round of tea. Are the two of you planning to continue working the vineyard? She asked over her shoulder. Of course, why wouldn't we? John asked. I know you think we took on the family business out of obligation, but I, for one, actually love working here. I can't speak for Michael, but I can't imagine doing anything else. I can imagine doing other things, Michael stated with a smile, but I'm with John. This is where I belong. What about you? Can you see yourself joining us here, or is that a stupid question? Wendy chuckled softly. It is a little. I love my job. I don't think there's much detective work at a winery. Is there any tea left for me? Came a voice from behind them. They all turned to see Jane leaning against the doorway, smiling at them. Of course there is, Michael replied. He got up from his stool, peering out the window as though surprised to find the sun had risen. He grabbed another cup from the overhead cupboard and placed it in front of his niece and she joined them in the kitchen. Good morning, sweetheart, Wendy said. Her daughter walked over and kissed her mother on the cheek. Did you get much sleep? Funnily enough, I did, Jane replied, moving on to her uncles, greeting them both with a kiss and a hug before sitting on the spare stool next to Michael. Wendy looked over at her daughter. It still surprised her how alike they looked, so much so they were often mistaken for sisters. Jane had the same thick, long chestnut hair that fell in natural waves around her heart-shaped face and the same hazel eyes. The soft early morning sunlight came through the window at such an angle that it appeared to encircle Jane's head like an aura or a halo. It made Wendy smile, but a sense of foreboding washed over her like a buzz of electricity, and a rushing noise filled her ears with such intensity that she feared she'd fall over, and the smile quickly fell from her face. She gripped the bench to stabilize herself, forcing her gaze from her daughter. She told herself it was only the remnants of her nightmare, coupled with the day ahead that had her senses on edge. Mom, what is it? Are you okay? Jane asked, half rising from her chair. Wendy gave her best reassuring smile and brushed off their concerned looks. I'm fine, really. I'm just overtired. 
She busied herself with refilling everyone's cups, knowing all of them would see the lie in her eyes given the chance. Wendy always prided herself on her inane sixth sense. It had proven essential in more than one case. The downside was that she couldn't pick and choose when it reared its head, and a lot was going on in her head. Something else was also niggling from the dark recesses of her mind, trying to get her attention. She mentally cast it back into the shadows, refusing to acknowledge it. Today wasn't the day. Wendy cleared her throat, wanting to change the subject. Has anyone checked in on Nana? She asked. I popped in before I went to bed last night, but she was already in bed, Michael answered, wrapping his hands around his newly warm cup. Was Carol still up? John asked. Michael nodded. Yeah, but I didn't want to disturb her more than I already did. I'm sure she looks forward to her own time. I just said a quick goodnight and left. Why does she have a caretaker instead of just going into a home like normal people do? Jane half-joked. Jane! What a horrible thing to say. It's not like you to be so cold. This has been her home for a lot longer than you or I have been around. I didn't mean it like that, exactly. I just mean that this house is enormous, and now it's just Nana here with Uncle Mike and Uncle John spending most of their time out in the vineyard or working out in the warehouses. It sounds like the setting for a horror movie. The senile old woman and her caretaker navigating the depths of an old house. John laughed aloud. <laughs> There's that fantastic imagination coming out, Jane. You were never going to be anything other than a writer. Jane gave her uncle a rueful smile before looking to Michael for backup. I hear the sentiment behind your creative delivery, and if she ever became a danger to herself, we might have to reconsider her living arrangements. But for now, she's not doing any harm, either to herself or anyone else. And Carol has proven more than adequate in her role. Both Dad and Mom wanted to see out their final days here, and so does Nana. She's also somewhat beyond benefiting from any of the social aspects provided by residential care, and a change in scenery at this point would likely do more harm than good. That's very diplomatic of you, Uncle, Jane replied. Look, sweetheart, I know you and Nana have never been the best of friends, and that's not your fault, but she's still family. I'm sure she would love it if you went and said hello, Wendy said. Jane stood up and walked over to the kitchen sink to rinse out her cup. You know, it's not true. She likely wouldn't know who I was, or if I was even there, or she would pretend not to. Wendy went to open her mouth in protest, but she stopped as Jane placed a hand on her mother's shoulder. Maybe later, Mum, she compromised. For now, I'm going to freshen up and get ready. It's going to be a long day. Wendy watched her daughter leave the room and sighed. It's not your fault they don't get along, Michael said. I just don't understand it. Nana was always so kind to us, so loving. I can't help but feel that Jane has missed out on getting to know that side of her because of how, well, you know. John reached over and clasped her hand in his. We all adore Jane. Mom and Dad did too. You know that. Wendy gave her brothers a small smile knowing the day was going to be sad enough without adding to it. I better go make sure Carol has Nana up. She took a final swig from her cup of tea and left the kitchen. Well, we hope you enjoyed our latest horrific tale. If you'd like to keep up to date, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube page. Also, follow us on our social media pages. You can also show your support for the channel by going to our merchandise store, picking up some items there. Please also take a moment to support our contributing friends who kindly lend their talents to this show.
Check out the links in the description as to how you can do this. Until next time, keep it creepy, keep it horrific.